Hello, welcome to Not the BBC. So the following is a conversation I had about Bitcoin with Johnny Hoddle. So Johnny is someone who's very active on Twitter. He's tweeting about the nonsense that's going on with COVID, the infringements on our liberties, but he's also very knowledgeable about Bitcoin. He runs a Telegram group called Bitcoin Resistance where he gives some really useful information and seeking to really onboard newbies into the Bitcoin space. I wanted to get him on to to kind of explore Bitcoin within the context of what's going on, within the context of the freedom movement. Um, so there's some useful information, I guess, broadly about why Bitcoin matters and, and, and how it works. But we also kind of get to some more interesting questions around whether it's been astroturfed or what that might look like or whether the nation state or governments or the status quo have tried to attack it in the past or what those attacks might look like. And we also look ahead and discuss what role it might play, whether we can use it, whether it can be an asset for us going forwards and, and how people can get can get involved. The more I look into Bitcoin, I'm always, always trying to retain a healthy skepticism, but the more I look into Bitcoin, the more I think there's a lot there's a lot to explore there. It's very interesting. The community is very vibrant and very wise and very vigilant. So something that I, I plan on kind of getting more involved in, in going forwards, certainly exploring these questions more. Um, so yeah, I, I really hope you, you enjoy the conversation. You, you take as much value out of it as I did. Hello, Johnny. Welcome to Not The BBC. Hey, thanks for having me. No, thanks for coming on. So yeah, I really wanted to, I've, I'm in your, your Telegram group, Bitcoin Resistance, and you're putting out some really great content to sort of, I guess, onboard people who aren't, haven't traditionally been part of the the Bitcoin community sort of into the sort of ecosystem. Um, yeah. And I kind of wanted to get you on to sort of, you know, you also, you also live in England and stuff. So I kind of wanted to get someone who's British, who's sort of part of the movement, but who also deeply understands Bitcoin to sort of share their thoughts on, on the whole thing um, and kind of how, how it might be helpful for us, for us going forward. Um, but you sort of want to start off, I guess, introducing yourself in terms of like why you're you're active um sort of on on social media and whatnot and I, and more generally kind of what got you into bitcoin in the first place uh yeah sure so um like i guess why i'm active kind of in the whole kind of like freedom movement now like it actually started um through the bitcoin community ironically so initially uh, my kind of twitter and things like that was really just for me kind of sharing my like interests about things like technology and, you know, things like cryptocurrency. Um, and it was actually to some of the people in the, within the Bitcoin community. So, so a lot of, some of these people actually were very, very early in, in fearing things like coronavirus. And they were some of the first people literally when it was like, you know, December of kind of 2019, when nobody was really talking about this thing, they were saying, you know, it's going to be huge stock up, you know, become a prepper, all this kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I started kind of, you know, I, I was actually kind of like, um, you know, I guess not, I wouldn't say like in fear, but I thought it was going to be way bigger uh, right back then. And I was telling my kind of family, you know, like stock up, I was stocking up on, on food and things like that. I was in Australia at the time and I was kind of like really stocking up on tin food and all the rest of it. You know, I really thought this was going to be a serious, serious thing. Um, and then kind of as uh, the following months kind of passed by, some of the Bitcoiners in the community started saying, you know, this is... Um, this is not what it's uh, what it's uh, being made out to be, and it's uh, you know this it's being exaggerated. And there's a lot of propaganda, etc. And I started kind of like looking at those claims, and then I realised, okay, like actually, I don't really have any solid arguments against against this. They're presenting a pretty good case that this is not the end of the world. Um, and then I kind of flipped uh, to the other side, which actually is the journey a lot of Bitcoiners at the time took. So 
before that point, my Twitter was very much about kind of just technology and my own interests. And then after that, it became much more political. And I started talking about, um, you know, things like coronavirus. And really, it was probably about April of 2020 for me. That was my kind of like red pill moment of, of realizing that, you know, this is this is much this is very, very different to what we're being led to believe. And that there's a huge, huge kind of um, chess game going on in the world. And um, at that point, I started kind of going to protests and things like that. So I was I was in some of the kind of early protests in like May last year, which were very different from the ones that we've been seeing recently. They were much more kind of, I guess, conspiratorial. I, I felt like, I guess, uh, much more of a, um, a normie at these kind of events, like compared to most people, there was actually quite a lot of, you know, the, you know, anti-5g folk and all this kind of stuff there were people like Dave, david ike giving talks and stuff which you know i'm not gonna sit here and kind of slate those people because you know I, like first of all i haven't researched things like 5g anyway and second of all people like david ike i actually have a lot more respect for now than i did at the time um i think he has been proven right on a lot of things so you know mm -hmm. like got to give credit where it's due but during this uh, process, I think um, I gained a bit more of a following for tweeting about things like coronavirus and, you know, tweeting out, um, kind of documenting things at the protests and stuff and developed a bit of a following from there. Um, and I guess uh, now I kind of want to bring things back to, you know, kind of where it all started for me is to bring those people in that freedom community back, you know, towards Bitcoin to try and educate people about Bitcoin. So at the moment, I've just got a small Telegram group, as you mentioned. And that's just my way of trying to get, um, you know, trying to bridge this gap between people who I think their goals are extremely well aligned and their worldviews are very, very similar. Um, but a lot of people just don't quite understand Bitcoin. It's quite a big thing for people to grasp. So, you know, what I'm trying to do is just to try and be a kind of, um, you know, someone, someone who can kind of guide people along that journey and can kind of mediate and help people to understand why Bitcoin is important. Because ultimately, I think that Bitcoin is going to be the most powerful tool to get us out of this mess and to try to and to, to kind of it's a tool for freedom ultimately and i think that um more more people that understand that and realize that the, the quicker that we can kind of push towards um you know actually kind of getting ourselves out of this kind of tyrannical mess that we're that we're getting in you know we, like we're hearing all the time about things like the great, great reset and people don't I, I see people going to protest and things but they're still expecting you know this to really change things and i think mm. that Protests are great, and I'm not going to knock them, but I think that they they are flawed. Ultimately, there is only a limit to how much change can happen, and people need to actually, um, you know, uh, opt out of these systems which are oppressing them. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, definitely. I mean, I think protests are good for for almost from like a morale perspective, and obviously to remind yeah. you know to I'm sure it also works up the chain, right? People see you know people walking past. And they see more people and they see normal people walking around at these protests and then changes the way they think. So I'm sure there is some impact. But in terms of that being like the sort of tip of the spear, um, I agree with you. And I think, yeah, that's also one of the things people don't really seem to, I don't think, appreciate about the Bitcoin community. And I didn't even until very recently is when you kind of read a lot of the, the books, um, you know, from the movement, like I'm reading one called Bitcoin Standard at the moment, you realize sort of how grounded this stuff is in um kind of in sort of economics in game theory in sort of the way the world works i mean they were very you know we're now realizing as people wake up to what's going on the sort of the the power that the global financial class have well that's something that bitcoin has always always knew and that was sort of the foundation of of why the you know immediate community sprung up um so it's 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 something that continues to surprise me and kind of gives me gives me hope because 
you know, you worry about whether it can be co-opted or whether it's been astroturfed and stuff like that. And when you realize, you know, the people who are involved early on certainly are not naive, <laughs> you know, about how the world works. Um, yeah. In terms of like, I guess, people are probably quite familiar with, I guess, the broad level of why it's valuable and why it matters. But can you sort of give, I guess, your, your general take on, um, I, I spoke about sort of the, the game theory stuff, the, the economic side of it, but just like your, what's your sort of general piece on, on the relevance of Bitcoin? Okay, well, I'll go at it from kind of like two angles. Um, the first one is from a kind of perspective of it being a, an important store of value. So one of the reasons that um, we're kind of in this mess, which keeps getting worse, is that, well, first of all, a lot of people think that, you know, they pay the taxes, it goes to the government and that there's, this, you know, they vote the government in democratically and the government takes the tax money and says, okay, now we're going to spend that on the few things that you want. And if they don't do it, you vote out your government. Well, first of all, you're relying on a very flawed democratic system. You know, a government comes in every four years. As soon as they're voted in, they basically can do what they want up until about year three and a half, at which point they start saying what they're going to do the next time around. And then you vote in the next time and then they lie all over again. So it's, democracy is a kind of like fundamentally like a very flawed system, which can't be relied on in isolation. So what governments really are doing is that um, in conjunction with obviously spending tax money, but this is, this is actually a kind of a small aspect for governments because they can print as much money as they want. They have unlimited amount ability to print money. And when they print money, they're essentially devaluing the money of everybody in society in order to enrich themselves, enrich the government coffers, and then they can spend that on what they want. So all of these kind of propaganda campaigns that we're seeing and all of this media spending, you know, trying to get people to be um, absolutely terrified of coronavirus and, you know, locking down businesses and paying for the police who are, you know, um, kind of uh, quashing protests or whatever it is, you know, the state is funding itself essentially through a, through an undemocratic means, which is money printing. Um, so what Bitcoin fundamentally does is it takes money, it takes the ability to create money out of the hands of government and places it in a decentralized system. So um, the money is, there is a, a kind of fixed supply and you have to mine Bitcoin in order to um, create it. So it's, it has similarities with gold. Um, you know, it used to be that kind of governments were, were pegged to gold and there was a much more truly democratic system there because governments actually could not just print the money out of existence. They had to come to the, the public and they had to, you know, essentially um, get that. Um, they, had, they had to get the money. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, with consent from the people, like with the kind of democratic consent rather than, oh, we can just print what, whatever money we want. So Bitcoin brings it back to that. It brings it back to that, that ability to, for, for individuals being in control of the money and it takes it out of the hands of government. So that is a, a hugely important thing, first of all. With that, with the kind of fixed supply, um, the importance of that is that people's money isn't, cannot be like devalued by governments um, at all. So, you know, the problem with inflation as well as governments just printing for what they want to spend is that that devalues everybody's money in society. Mm. It keeps people in this kind of debt treadmill. You know, it just keeps people, you know, you, like you look at what you can get in a bank right now, you can't even get um, anything close to uh, what the inflation is in your bank account. You put your money in a bank account, inflation is running at, like in theory, essentially what we're being told is 2%, but um, as we know, if we actually kind of change what we assess as inflation, we include things like healthcare, things like education, um, and things like, uh, you could even argue it, cryptocurrency will be um, inflating as well, and other things like uh, like lumber, whatever you, whatever you want to put in that basket, inflation really is running it closer to about 10%. Um, now with uh, Bitcoin, um, 
that uh, inflation isn't running away from people. So people's actual savings um, continue to maintain their value over time. So it stops people on this treadmill, on this kind of debt treadmill. It stops people from having to throw their money into things like stocks. It stops people having to work until they're, you know, um, 85, 90 years old. Um, because it allows people to actually have confidence that their savings are going to maintain value over time. So yeah, it massively benefits the um, the current system. Just benefits people who are above a certain threshold of income and wealth, where they can continue just to accumulate assets and just exactly and, and who already kind of own assets as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's favoured towards asset holders. So that's why in the current system, you know, people who who buy properties and things like that, or they buy stocks. You know, they will do well over time, but for the for, for, for poorer people, for people who have less money, uh, you know, most of their money is in cash. So, you know, for, for someone who, it, you know, isn't rich, and this is most people in society, it's probably 90, 95% of society, that all their money is in cash. And that cash is devaluing over time, where, whereas the assets are increasing value over time because they have a scarce element to them. Mm. You know, houses are somewhat scarce. Gold is a scarce asset. Uh, you know, stocks are a scarce asset. So these assets um, are accruing in value. And now what Bitcoin does is it allows people to not just gamble on the stock market to get their return or not, not to get into a, a cycle of debt by buying a property that they can't afford, that they're going to have to pay off for 50 years. But it allows them to just, you know, whatever small amount they want, they can buy Bitcoin. And they know that's going to just, you know, it's just going to not necessarily go up every single day. But over time, because of its scarcity element, they can be sure that they own this asset which isn't going to be inflated and therefore they can kind of have confidence that their savings are going to increase over time, which is the way it should be. You know, the productivity of society um, should, in theory, mean that everybody gets richer over time. The reason that's not happening is because all of the money is being flooded into assets and, mon- and currency itself is being devalued. So that's um, one aspect. I'll try to sum up the, the second aspect uh, like quite quickly, but the other, other one is censorship resistance. Mm. So Bitcoin also allows people to... Um, to send and receive money um, privately. So anyone can spin up a Bitcoin wallet. Uh, I mean, you could spin up a Bitcoin wallet right now and I could just send you send you some money and it would be completely private and nobody can stop that transaction going through. Nobody can stop you receiving it. Nobody knows who you are if you want to spend it in the future. There is an aspect that people can know um, your identity. If you use a regulated exchange and you buy cryptocurrency on a regulated exchange and then you, you receive it to your, your wallet there, then yes, uh, if these are regulated institutions, then they will be able to know your identity um, is assigned to that wallet. But you know, you're basically one hop, one transaction away from it being unknown again. Um, and really most of the network is, is pretty well anonymized. Um, and there are various tools to increase your levels of, of anonymity. You can even buy, buy things like Bitcoin on decentralized exchanges, you know, you could offer services, you know, you could, uh, whatever you you do for a job, you can cut someone's hair or you can mow someone's lawn and you can get paid in Bitcoin if you really want. And nobody can stop you earning Bitcoin that way. So the important thing is that your senses, your transactions can't be censored. Um, So if a government says, oh, you know what, like we don't like uh, what you're spending your money on at the moment, they can block transactions. And we've seen that with things like WikiLeaks when people want to give money to to WikiLeaks, you know, Visa denied them, MasterCard denied Mm. them. They were denied all of these banking institutions and they ended up having to accept cryptocurrency. The mm-hmm. same way that, that dark markets um, you know, have evolved, they accept uh, cryptocurrency and in particular Bitcoin for these transactions because uh, you know, they know they can actually accept it and nobody can shut that down. That's something that can be offered to everyone. Everyone has the, the potential to, to have those benefits. Um, and uh, yeah, I, f- I forgot my, my second point on that, but I'll, uh, I'll probably come back to it in a minute. Yeah. 
yeah, no, that, that was all really, really well said. And in terms of, can you talk a little bit more about, I guess, within the context of the crypto ecosystem, right? The, the value of Bitcoin, because I think that's one of the things, again, it's one of the things that I didn't really understand is you, for me, for me, the sort of branch part was like, okay, I get it. Like rent seeking, central banking, whatnot. Okay, Bitcoin is decentralized. And then you see all these other cryptos sort of popping up about it. So other ones talking more about privacy, you see people talking about Ethereum, then you start thinking about well, like intrinsic value and whatnot. But Bitcoin has actually kind of proven pretty robust over time. So can you kind of talk, I guess, yeah, within the context of the cryptocurrency ecosystem, within the context of a, a reaction, a solution to the, a lot of those problems that you outlined? Can you sort of speak to some of the strengths of, of Bitcoin and um, or maybe also to the weaknesses of it, but just kind of how it sort of sits in, you know, within that frame? Yeah, so so with, with Bitcoin, Bitcoin was kind of the first um, like cryptocurrency really to, to solve this pro problem called the double spend problem, which is, you know, essentially how you kind of um, ensure that um, you can't double spend from a certain address and how you can kind of like this is what really blockchain technology uh, solves is that it kind of orders transactions in a way that everyone can verify it and that the ledger remains um, trustable or it's, it's, you can trust the ledger, but it's trustless between the parties who are sending and receiving transactions, et cetera. So Bitcoin sol solved this problem and really that is kind of zero to one innovation that's happened. Mm -hmm. So there are obviously plenty of other cryptocurrencies out there that are solving, you know, or purporting to solve, I would say, various uh, different use cases. But really, the you know to, to strip it back, like the, the problem we're trying to solve here is, uh, again, it comes back to kind of censorship resistance, having a fixed supply, and taking uh, the ability to kind of print money out of the hands of, of governments. That's what we're really trying to solve here. Now, Bitcoin solves all those problems, and um, some people uh, who are new to the space look at something like Bitcoin and say, "Oh, well, you know, it was the first one. It was it was kind of old technology. You know, like we've got this new thing now. We've got things like Ethereum. We've got." you know, whatever it is, Litecoin does things faster, et cetera. But when it like really comes down to it, um, a lot of what these things are kind of purporting to solve, they're not kind of hair on fire problems. Um, and they actually make um, trade-offs, which uh, really wouldn't be tolerated in Bitcoin, according to kind of Bitcoin's ethos. Um, you know, one of the most important things with Bitcoin is that anyone can, can essentially audit the, the blockchain by running a node. So, um, you know, I, like I run a node and, and you know, you don't have to run a node, you can still use the network if you don't, but if you want to run a node, you can run a node and you can verify all the blocks and you verify it from the beginning of time, right up until the present moment, and then you propagate blocks which uh, are in accordance with the consensus rules and you deny blocks which are not in accordance with the consensus rules and that's how it work and works in the consensus rules. You can say which ones you accept. If you decide, hey, you know what, I'm going to accept block uh, which uh, censors certain transactions or, you know, I know that WikiLeaks has this address and I'm not going to allow it, like, you could do that, but you'll get forked off the network because mm. you know everyone uh, is keeping to the, to the rules uh, of the system. And um, really, like Bitcoin now, it's it's still um, it's obviously been been going for a long time, and it continues to to keep value. And uh, some people would say that it's kind of you know the, the the reserve of the cryptocurrency network. I would say that it's it's actually the the only one really which is solving the the main problems of society. And I think that it's kind of achieved. A level of market share now um which is essentially it's kind of like reached um you know escape velocity i, mm. I think that, that all of these these other coins might you know try to achieve certain things but anything can be done on bitcoin the important thing to remember is that this you know we're talking here about open source protocols 
So, you know, if someone wants to do something, they can go to, uh, you know, they can go to the, the Bitcoin, Bitcoin GitHub and they can become a developer and they can say, hey, I want to do this. And if everyone agrees with it, then they can take that and they can either, you know, like uh, go with it. It can either get kind of merged into the, the Bitcoin um, uh, kind of software and, the, and, and become part of the protocol or it gets rejected by the other developers. And if it, and if it doesn't get, if it gets rejected, maybe you want to take it and you want to fork it and you want to start something else and other people can then download that and run it on their node. So all of these kind of innovations, which are happening on these, these uh, altcoins, they could happen on Bitcoin, but people haven't done them. You know, like there, there mm -hmm. has been forks of Bitcoin where people have said, we want to do something different and it hasn't um, achieved any kind of traction. And the reason for that is because the most important things in Bitcoin is that everyone can audit the chain and uh, you know, it's uncensorable. Mm. Um, and most of the trade-offs that are happening with these with these other coins are kind of for for going on on some of these uh, properties. So, for instance, with, with Ethereum, you know, it's very difficult to to run node. It's very difficult to order the chain. You know, there's a high degree of kind of centralization there, which is not tolerated in Bitcoin. And in Bitcoin, mm. it's all about you know, decentralization is the most important aspect, uh, is the most important facet. So that is what um, everything is optimized for. So it's not necessarily got um, the cheapest transactions on the main chain. It's not necessarily um, got the fastest transactions on the main chain, mm. but what Bitcoin is trying to do is to remain as decentralized as possible. And then you can, you can build in a layered fashion on top of that. So similar to how the internet was built, you know, you don't do everything on the base layer, the base layer uh, maintains its integrity. And then on top of that, we can have things like payment layers. So I think in the future, Bitcoin will not be considered, the, the Bitcoin main chain will not be considered a kind of payment layer because mm. Ultimately, if everyone wants to run a node and wants to kind of keep track of all these uh, transactions that are happening and to validate it, you can't have every single transaction in the whole world on that main chain. I mean, that's, that would just be impossible to do. So what you do is you settle on the main chain and you have a payment layer sitting on top of that. Um, at the moment, uh, you have the Lightning Network, which is still being developed, but it's very good and like it works. And you can, you can send almost fearless uh, transactions. Now, there is an element there of, um, you know, having more of a kind of custodian relationship, but for small amounts of money, that is okay as long as the main chain remains decentralized. Whereas, yeah. you know, compromising the decentralization of the main chain is never tolerated in Bitcoin. And I think that's something that a lot of newcomers don't necessarily understand or don't necessarily recognize. Um, mm -hmm. And they look at these other altcoins and say, hey, it's cheaper, but um, you know, you wouldn't want to store your value there. And that's the reason mm -hmm. Bitcoin has maintained so much value is because it can be trusted as a store of value unlike a lot of these other altcoins. Well, I guess, you know, the, the main underlying chain is where the leverage, you know, where the leverage lies. So just if, you know, if you have, I guess, little nodes that are popping above that, you're never going to have these huge bottlenecks and these huge points of leverage kind of emerge there, you know, yeah. in, in, in the way that you would. So I guess the fact that the actual base layer is super decentralized um, is sort of what kind of helps it. And it's sort of proven kind of in terms of the community and how they've reacted to, to challenges. I was hearing a bit earlier today about, I didn't really know that much about the whole Bitcoin cash split, but in terms of its mm -hmm. history, it's kind of, it has overcome challenges and proven its sort of commitment to, to decentralization. Can you talk a bit about the, the Bitcoin cash sort of um, brouhaha? Cause I mean, I was listening to sort of Bitcoin maximalist earlier today and he was sort of saying that people were, you know, were quite concerned about the future of Bitcoin at that point, um, but it stuck to its guns. Yeah, so with the, with the Bitcoin cash split, the, the actual story of that goes a little bit earlier with something called uh, Segwit2x, which was basically a proposal by essentially a kind of consortium of, of, of businesses who wanted to raise the block size of Bitcoin. So currently Bitcoin has a one megabyte block size. Um, it, it's 
actually in theory uh, more than that because we, we have something called segment which is another technology which which does increase the block size um, for all intents and purposes but that's probably a bit too technical for this conversation but um, the segwit 2x proposal was uh, essentially kind of like behind closed doors agreement signed by a bunch of companies who said we are going to uh, start mining blocks which are a larger block size to allow more transactions per block which would um, reduce fees but it, the cost of that would be some degree of um, loss of decentralization because you know currently um, well f first of all like you know it takes quite a lot of kind of memory to, to have the whole blockchain if you if you sync, sync the whole bitcoin blockchain it does take around about like i did it recently and it, it, it took around about a week or mm. eight nine days or something like that so if you increase that it's going to kind of become exponentially more difficult to sync a new uh, a new node the other problem is that as the blocks are bigger um they take it's more difficult to propagate the blocks so you have, have kind of like these propagation uh, issues which can lead to kind of more like uh, centralization and you know, um, you can have uh, when the when the kind of block blocks are mined, you can have things like spy mining and things like this, where the kind of bigger miners in the space are able to to have an advantage because uh, because of the propagation time is slow, etc. So mm -hmm. you've got um, a lot of people in the, in the in the Bitcoin community were were against this this change because they there's said, the, okay, yes, we sorry, there's sort of there's sort of a trade off then between decentralization and and speed, efficiency, and cost and yeah. whatnot. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I mean, ultimately, mm. the important thing to remember, and this is what a lot of a lot of newbies don't don't quite understand at first, is that like blockchains are an incredibly inefficient way of doing things. I mean, it's about as inefficient as a database can can possibly be because you know the fact is like everyone has to do this independent verification, has to send it to all these other nodes, and has to check it in with accordance with rules, and there has to be this mining process, and you know, kind of like essentially this kind of like time stamping. Um, you know, issue to get around of, of how the blocks are ordered, etc. It's very, very inefficient. Um, so this is not, you know, the, the point of Bitcoin is not to just be, be fast and cheap on the on the base layer. That was never going to happen, and that was understood by the developers pretty early on. Um, so with this uh, proposal, a lot of people were against it, and they saw these kind of issues coming. And um, even though these businesses had signed it, and a lot of the miners were on board, and they were saying, "Yeah, we're going to do it. We're going to start mining these blocks, etc." You know the community came together and basically said well you know we're not we're going to reject we're going to reject it because you know we're not going to accept two megabyte blocks and uh people uh, and people said you know i'm gonna when when you have this fork in the network um you kind of get co coins on both chains so you get bitcoin and then you get your bitcoin cash coins like which will be spendable because you know as, as it as it forks they both kind of have the same history but they kind of branch off like a tree into these two separate um separate coins which are now, uh, you know, on their own chain because the consensus rules are completely different for each. So when it came to the actual fork, a lot of people like myself sold the Bitcoin cash, uh, bought more Bitcoin. And over time, more and more people did this. And, you know, now to the point, I think Bitcoin cash now is at about one, I think about one one hundredth of the value that it, that, that, it, that it was initially at the time of the fork or something like that. It's, it's a very low value. And that is because people, you know, ultimately said, you know, this is this is not about just having um, fast, cheap transactions on the base layer. Um, you know, we 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 have good payment technology. Okay, uh, it's not um, censorship resistant, but you know, if you want to go and buy a coffee, you don't need that to necessarily be on the base good, layer yeah. of a Bitcoin blockchain. Yeah, yeah, you know, I can go in, and I don't care if the government knows if I've gone and bought coffee from Starbucks. Now, if I want to, you know, go and buy you know something that might be illegal 
of course, I'm not going to go and use a credit card for it. But then you're also willing to, to pay higher fees for that. And there's technology being built, built on top of Bitcoin, which will allow you to spend very fast and cheap to do those transactions anyway. I think at some point, even the dark markets and things will move towards using things like Bitcoin Lightning Network mm. um, for, their, for their payments. Um, so those issues are being solved, but it's just that what we're unwilling to do is to kind of compromise the base chain, the, the base um, blockchain and the kind of base protocol to accommodate things which in most Bitcoiners views should be built on kind of all like second layers. So the split happened and um, oh, sorry, the split was going to happen, this segment to X, but they actually backed out the companies because they, I think, realized that they didn't have the support of the node, people running the node, didn't have the support of individuals that the community split, you know, it's not like a 50-50 community split. It was like a kind of 95%, 5% community split, split perhaps, and businesses started to kind of backtrack on it. And then what what ultimately happened is that some of these uh, kind of individuals who were involved in the Segwit 2X, they decided, okay, like we're going to just fork the chain and we're going to uh, do Bitcoin Cash, mm. which removed the Segwit aspect of the change, but maintained the two megabyte uh, uh, block size increase. Mm. Um, so they fought off into their own chain and now it's being pushed by, you know, certain individuals and, you know, they're welcome to, to their coin. A lot of people in Bitcoin are unhappy that they're using the Bitcoin name when it's essentially an altcoin. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I don't have too much of a problem for that. At the, at the end of the day, like Bitcoin's Bitcoin. And if you want to, you know, call it mm. Bitcoin, whatever, like you, you can call it that. I don't mind too much about that. But ultimately, the kind of community has decided, the community has um come together and not necessarily come together. It's not like, you know, everyone has, has planned it, but ultimately the value has resided in, in Bitcoin and those are the, the market has decided that decentralization is important. And that that's, you know, that's what we're trying to achieve here. We're trying to achieve, mm -hmm. achieve proper financial sovereignty for the individual. We want to be able to run our own nodes. You know, that's an important thing to do. We want to be able to audit the chain. We don't want it being centralized. Um, more centralization is bad. So mm -hmm. the community has decided that. And, uh, you know, I think that was kind of a watershed moment. A lot of people did, did think you know could this could this break it you know if, if people go for this thing and they say oh well you know it's got cheaper fees now because it's got this this you know i'm not i can't run a node anymore but it's got cheaper fees um then i think a lot of people would have said if the market had have had have crowned that king mm. that the kind of it would have been over you know it looked that, that it, yeah that if that's what people want then you know you're going to eventually just kind of like loop back to the original system where people don't have the ability to control their own finances but thankfully people recognize that the importance here is decentralization and being self-sovereign and uh yeah and that's one of the one of the many reasons why i think bitcoin is the most important um not just cryptocurrency but like in my view the most important movement in the world mm. uh, because it, it is optimizing for the right things yeah it's really encouraging isn't it that the you know because people complain about how most of the world is asleep and whatnot but in terms of like that was a real moment it seems when there were commercial advantages to to kind of forking it and it showed that the, the kind of mass of people that or the, you know the mass of the community the market around it that it was kind of committed to, to the right things like if that it's just really interesting to see that it's still kind of retained its you know it, it its value and it's still kind of sucked in bitcoin cash seems kind of more fringe um yeah and i guess that would have been the moment um, yeah, it'd be good to talk now a little bit about like, I guess, skepticism around, around it, but that would have been the moment when, you know, people talk about the establishment having their grab at it and, and sort of Bitcoin ending up falling into the system. That would have seemed like a very opportune moment. It kind of had a few years running, 
and then you had these big you know it's, uh, from what i understand that companies like coinbase were kind of involved in trying to get it to bitcoin cash so these guys aren't like super you know like wall street old old schoolers but they're obviously yeah. looking out for their own interests for their own financial interests so that seems like that would have been a time when if there were a time where it would have got co-opted and stuff like that that would have seemed like a kind of good moment but in terms of like the co-option i mean you know like i said it kind it gives me a lot of hope when i read you know when I, I go back and i read a lot of the old texts and you, you meet people in the community and you you join the communities and stuff and you realize sort of how sophisticated um the kind of chat is then how aware they are of the way the way things work and stuff like that um yeah you know we've always got to be you know we've always got to be a bit skeptical and you know and I, i'm just kind of curious on it to get your thoughts on this i mean we, we've seen what's happened in the last year with our own eyes about what happens when the establishment really doesn't want to talk about something or when it sees stuff as a threat so you see the way the media has kind of gone around the vaccines um shutting stuff down around the lockdowns the way they don't even report on the protests and stuff so mm -hmm. we kind of have a pretty good idea firsthand of what a real sort of a establishment like allergic reaction to to a specific movement looks like and when you consider kind of how revolutionary bitcoin can be you kind of go back you look you chart back the whole history of civilization almost um, and you kind of realize how profound it can be um, and you realize yeah. sort of how powerful these people what the lengths that these people these financiers have kind of have, have gone to in the past kind of what they end up doing they fund wars and whatnot um you know you kind of would expect some big reaction and 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 yeah so kind of what's your take on that like on that sort of perspective on those concerns about it that that it might be something that's being dangled in front of us like have there been attacks on it what is the sort of yeah i'd be, it'd be really great to get your take on that yeah i mean i mean many people would argue think that segwit 2x was an example of an attack and and there are there are various other attacks. I mean, I, I guess these attacks can kind of be on a scale, right? So like, you know, for instance, you know, some people will never buy Bitcoin from a regulated exchange because you are essentially kind of giving um, the government some kind of information on you know what you own, like how much Bitcoin mm -hmm. you bought, etc. Some people are, are totally against that, and you know, I, I kind of like respect that view. Um, so the government is for sure trying to. Uh, I think they're struggling because, you know, Bitcoin is unregulatable and governments are trying to use uh, tools which have absolutely zero impact on this because essentially Bitcoin is, you know, really it's a, it's a communication protocol. Like you're running, you're running code and it, you're just communicating. It's just people communicating with each other. And uh, I think the government uh, would love to try and stop it. And things like Segwit2x is, is you know, maybe it's not a governmental attack, but maybe it's a kind of more corporate attack to try and, try and kind of, um, bring this thing into the into the within the kind of control or within the kind of like war garden of, of corporations for instance but bitcoin doesn't want to do that because everyone is, is is running nose and everyone's kind of watching and you can if you see the, the 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 bitcoin code change in a way you don't want it to you just don't you just don't um don't run that code and you know you can have infinite numbers of forks and eventually money is going to find you know it, the best form of money is going to be realized through this it's almost like a kind of continuous market competition you yeah. can make a change and you can take some of the community with you but you won't take it all with you and the community is going to mm. kind of coalesce towards what's right for the most people it's like a sort of absolute democracy almost in the sense that you know you're yeah. voting 
people, you know, will kind of because it's all about the majority of what people agree on and stuff. So I guess it's, it's properly community driven. And I guess it's not something that you can really sort of drop a bomb. <laughs> you, know, you can't drop a bomb on it. Um, Bitcoin. So yeah, I guess it's, like, it's, in, it's impossible. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, you know, like people are running, co- running nodes in every country around the world. You, you know, even if you bombed an entire country, you wouldn't stop it. I mean, you've even got a node in space. So, you know, even if the whole world's power supply went out, um, you know, you could, you could, uh, you could still have, have blocks being propagated from, from space or like, it's, um, it's pretty crazy. It's so anti-fragile. It's, it's mm-hmm. the most anti-fragile thing that we've, we've ever really encountered. Um, it's just unstoppable, but like governments really just don't have a shot. At it. So I think that, that, you know, things like the, the segregate uh, attack, you could argue that's an attack. And I think that there will be other things. And I, I do think attacks are coming from the government because I think at, at some point, you know, when it truly kind of like reaches a point where I think when traditional, uh, when the dollar collapses, and I think that's, you know, a when, not an if, um, it's going to take every other fiat currency with it and people are going to be looking for a safe haven. And I think at that point, you could see a huge amount of money pour into something like Bitcoin because, because it will be one of the only places. I mean, previously, when, when you've had a state kind of currency collapse, people, get, people flock to the US dollar. Well, what happens when the US dollar collapses and every single other currency in the world is pegged to it? People are going to you know, look for something else. Okay, you can buy gold, you can buy, you can buy stocks, but the, the logical option is to buy something like Bitcoin. And I think that when you see that, that those kind of floods, I think the government's going to kind of panic and they're going to realize they're losing control. And uh, we might already be seeing the beginnings of this. And I think the government is going to respond. I, I think already with this kind of, you know, the, the whole thing about, you know, Bitcoin using too much uh, energy and, you know, it's, uh, we need to stop it. I think I would argue that is an attack. Um, and I think that it does seem quite coordinated to me. And yeah, uh, yeah I can go into that more if you want. But Yeah, because, you know, for, I guess, a, a decentralized system like Bitcoin, the way you, in order to, to suppress it, you need to do that in a sort of distributed way. So I guess it needs to be some sort of cultural or, you know, some sort of, yes, cultural sort of, I guess, like distributed, like political move in terms of like legislation, you know, fear, because obviously legislation can't, is be hard to enforce, but I suppose some sort of cultural thing around fear, around um, mm-hmm. trust and whatnot. So I suppose it would be more of a, like a, an information attack. And so, yeah, the, given where yeah. people want our understanding of, I guess, where things are going, and the role that climate change, climate emergency plays in, in the sort of great reset, it would seem like that might be something that ends up emerging as a, as a kind of big attack on it. Yeah, I think that seems to be the, the kind of the route they're going down. I think that they've kind of exhausted their oh, Bitcoin is for the criminals, you know, argument and things like that. And now they're, they're kind of moving on to, you know, Bitcoin is, you know, destroying the planet. Like that seems to be the, the newest thing. And like to, to kind of touch on that, like ultimately, yes, Bitcoin re- requires a kind of mining process. That is what secures the chain. Um, but, you know, there's, there's kind of two aspects aspects to that. One is that Bitcoin is actually, you know, it's very easy to assess the kind of carbon footprint of Bitcoin because you literally just check, you just see what the what the um, the hash rate is. You see where people are mining and you say, okay, this, this is uh, this is this is the energy use. It's, it's a very easy calculation to make. Now it's much more difficult calculation to say, well, how much is, is traditional finance system using? You know, mm. let's add up all of the power from all of the banks around the world. Like, who's driving to work? How far are they driving? What car are they driving? Uh, you know, what what's the kind of uh, miles miles to the gallon of those of those cars? Uh, you know, how, like are the lights being left on at night or yeah. not? Like all all of the all these things. You know, how much does it cost to actually print? 
print currency, you know, what's the environmental footprint of that? There's so many aspects that it's almost impossible to calculate it. Um, so people would say, oh, well, you know, Bitcoin's using as much um, energy as New Zealand or I, I don't know, whatever the latest country is. Now, if you actually calculated the, the traditional finance system, then you would get a very, very high figure as well. The other thing to, to kind of factor into that is, is that, you know, the, the traditional finance system is what is driving wars around the world. You know, the petrodollar needs to be defended by wars. I mean, like, it's almost incalculable incalcul the amount of environmental destruction that's done by, you know, powering, uh, you know, like jets and, uh, you know, whatever it is and, you know, manufacturing weaponry etc because you know you're protect you're trying to kind of defend this uh kind of fundamentally unjust financial system like nobody would even you know no, nobody in the kind of whoever it is the wall street journal or whatever is ever going to add up all that because they don't recognize that that's an intrinsic part of the system yeah so you know and then the second point really is that Bitcoin um, has a value because people give it value like people that there is obviously value there I mean you can make the argument that well um I don't think that uh, that putting on Christmas lights um, is a good use of energy. Like we should all stop doing that. It's using this much carbon. And people say, well, you know what? Like I like my Christmas lights being on, and that's what how I want to use my energy, and I'm paying for that energy, and uh, so therefore, like it's useful to me. Like what is uh, a good use of energy is completely subjective. I mean, people will look at Bitcoin and say, ah, you know, like uh, it requires this mining process. That's wasteful. Well, that that mining process is securing, you know, something which is going to allow people to have true. Mm -hmm sovereign control over all of their money you know to tell someone in in venezuela whose currency is hyperinflating at you know a thousand percent a week or whatever it is and tell them that that's a that's a waste of energy for them to be able to keep their savings and they you know they'll tell you that that you, they couldn't think of a better use of energy than to than to to use it in that way so it's it's all fud and you know really what we've heard this before and it kind of comes around every couple of years people start talking about how wasteful it is etc but um you know, at the end of the day, no matter how much governments talk about it, it's not going to change anything because if they just say, oh, you know, um, this is bad, you've got to stop mining. Well, mining is going to happen somewhere else. Like, do we want the mining to happen in America or do we want it to happen in a place like Iran or, mm. or you know, like at some point governments uh, have this kind of conflicting, um, they've got these kind of conflicting uh, interests essentially because it's like they, they don't want Bitcoin to succeed. But if they turn their back on Bitcoin, Bitcoin is going to succeed in China. It's going to succeed in Iran. It's going to succeed yeah. in, you know, uh, Russia. So the best thing is not to try and fight Bitcoin, but to try and embrace it and to try and get on board with it. And the sooner, you know, the game theory is all in favor of adopt early. Um, and the people who don't adopt early, are, you know, they're going to lose out because Bitcoin is not going to stop. It's not going to wait around for you. You know, you can't stop it. This thing is happening. And the yeah. best thing to do is to, is to recognize it's happening and to get on board with it. Well, I guess that, you know, if this whole system is collapsing um, and, you know, they might, you know, people might kind of call these people evil, but ultimately they want to retain, they want to continue delivering enough value <laughs> to retain their power. And so if the, if the system is collapsing and Bitcoin can kind of, I guess, push back, it can kind of help support something new um, and a transition to something, then I guess, you know, it is in the incentives. I mean, is there, is there a more general incentive for them about why, um, why they might want, I guess, not something as decentralized as, as Bitcoin. And people talk about how the public ledger, you can track all transactions, but is the expectation that, you know, because there are privacy coins like Monero's, one called Haven, which has a very smart community around it as well. I guess is the expectation that, yeah, the Lightning Network, will, or not the Lightning Network, but sort of layer two solutions will pop up for stuff like privacy. Because that's one of the main arguments I've heard is that, well, 
for a, you know a, a sort of totalitarian state having a, a sort of public ledger of all transactions and stuff it you know kind of works out yeah. quite well for them um yeah is there is there a take on that yeah i mean like with, with the kind of privacy aspects i mean you know something like monero like a lot of people are fairly sympathetic to it in, in, in the bitcoin community but ultimately kind of privacy is happening on a scale. Like one of the problems with, with Monero really is that the chain is very difficult to audit on the basis that it's so private that it's actually very difficult to audit the chain. And mm. the importance of a kind of global financial system is that you can very easily audit the chain. Yeah. So I don't see Monero as ever um, being able to serve that purpose. Now, is it useful for kind of like hopping in and out of to make certain transactions? At the moment, I would say it probably is if you want to go on the on the dark web or something and you've bought your Bitcoin from an, from an exchange and you want to like trade it for Monero or somewhere like by all means that might be a good use case, like get the Monero in, make the purchase and then, you know, like get out of Monero again. But I don't think it's ever going to um, achieve, you know, it's something like a global decentralized kind of monetary system. I don't think Monero um, has the capacity, it doesn't have the develop the, the capacity in terms of the developer community. Mm. It doesn't have, um, you know, any of the kind of like real infrastructure, like um, to do that. And also I do think that things like Lightning Network are going to definitely eat, eat into a lot of that use case because the you know, Lightning Network is extremely private. Um, we've also just had something called, um, something called Taproot, uh, which uh, is being activated right now, which uh, is adding secure, which is adding kind of more anonymity features you can do things like coin mixing and stuff in bitcoin so you can still get privacy from bitcoin that's really the only what the only place which is the the problem for bitcoin when it comes to privacy is using a regulated exchange because mm. you can you buy the bitcoin from a regulated exchange it goes into that wallet now you actually have that exact same problem with monero because with monero you've got your monero wallet you buy from a regulated exchange well now everyone knows where your monero is yeah. The, the difference here is that when you send that Monero, if you, if you do an additional hop, they don't know where it's gone. With yeah. Bitcoin, you do the additional hop and then you know where it's gone. You can see the receiving address for that. Mm. So a government could, in theory, say you have it. Now, I, w I, would, I would partly argue that a government never actually knows how much Bitcoin you've got because even if you, if you take it from an exchange and you, and you send it, you could say, oh, well, I sold it. You know, yeah. I sold it. Uh, you could even um, say, well... Like I sold this Bitcoin and uh, I sold this Bitcoin. I didn't make any profit on it, so I don't owe taxes on it, but that was mm. a sale. I sold the Bitcoin there. And they have no, no way of actually saying, well, do you still own that Bitcoin? Um, I mean, given everything that's happened over, over the past kind of like 14, 15 months, I would say probably don't bank on that because mm. I, I totally would not put it past the government to just come knocking on people's doors at some point because, you know, this is the world we're living in now. Like yeah. things have changed a lot. Um, however, essentially what I'm, what I'm getting at here is that is that what if you get your Bitcoin anonymously, i.e. if you use a decent, decent uh, decentralized exchange or you, you provide services to earn your Bitcoin or something like that, it's going to be incredibly anonymous. And actually over time, I see Bitcoin becoming more and more anonymous because as more and more people trade their services for it, you can it just spin up a wallet. To... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just spin up a wallet, you go and, you know, you go and do, a, do a job for someone, hmm. they pay you the, the Bitcoin. Nobody has any idea who the owner of that wallet is. Yeah. Nobody, can, nobody can track you, trace you, et cetera. So... I think that it's going to become more anonymous at the moment that at the moment, the strategy with Bitcoin is you just buy it and you hold it because it's yeah. an investment vehicle. As it moves more into becoming a kind of um, medium of exchange, I think that that's when the anonymity feature will really take off. First of all, from using things like the Lightning Network, which is more private anyway. And second of all, um, because people will actually be trading their services for Bitcoin rather than 
signing up to a regulated exchange mm. and revealing their identity. So Bitcoin is very private. It, it mm. is still very private. And, you know, a lot of these worries about being a tra traceable blo blockchain, et cetera. Um, yeah, they're, they're valid concerns. And, but I think over time, everyone's working on them, um, yeah. you know, and their problems, which are getting better and better over time because Bitcoin is a very privacy centered project. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I guess there's lots of very smart, kind of mission driven people working on a lot of the, like decentralized exchanges and, and swaps between chains and stuff like that. So I guess, you mm -hmm. know, we'd expect these things. The, I, I guess the other one is also if, you know, people might think in this new technocracy, this energy based system, you know, that people kind of think we're going to be on the great reset after the collapse. I mean, you wouldn't want to, I mean, you wouldn't, they wouldn't want a blockchain for that. I mean, they might want, I, I don't know that much about the technology, but I mean, talking about that trade-off between, you know, efficiency and speed, they'd want something, you know, and decentralization. I mean, surely they wouldn't want something decentralized like a Bitcoin. They would, they might, they, they want something which is very centrally controlled, but, but can kind of operate in a distributed way. Right. I suppose. So they wouldn't yeah, necessarily I mean, even uh, want the Bitcoin underlying technology, would they? No, I mean, they, they have no reason to, to, to use it. And I mean, like you could theoretically, you could theoretically kind of leverage the underlying blockchain and you could say, okay, we're going to have this, we're going to have Fed coin or, you know, IMF coin or whatever it is, and we could build it on another layer and it can kind of leverage uh, the main blockchain. But, you know, they would have no incentive to do that, first of all, because you would be inheriting a lot of the privacy features from the, the actual like layer below it. Um, the other thing is that they, they aren't able to actually kind of like print money in that in that scenario. And, you know, the whole thing with this great reset, the idea that they're going to have a kind of uninflatable monetary supply is just ludicrous. Like they, they're definitely not going to have that. When, when they're going to have something which they can inflate at their given, uh, I would argue they're even going to go further. I think they're not only going to have something which inflates, they're probably going to have something which if you don't use your money, you lose it. You know, like my, oh, I think that they're probably going to have a Yeah, yeah. Uh, like, you know, they could have it so that it, you get with your UBI or whatever, you get like $100 a day. Mm. And if you don't use that $100, you literally lose it. So it forces people to then go out and buy stuff from these big corporations. You know, it's going to force you to go and buy stuff off Amazon or yeah, whatever more, it is. more degenerate um, consumption. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like th this is the, the ridiculous thing is that the same people who are talking about, you know, rampant, um, you know, the environmental destruction and all this kind of thing are essentially they're at the core of their kind of Keynesian economic system is a system which like causes huge amount of consumerism, which is the biggest destructive factor in the world. So, you know, that's another thing I didn't mention when we're talking about the, ener the energy stuff is that if you've got um, something which is a fixed supply, people have less incentive to go out and spend. They want to keep their money. They don't want to go and spend recklessly because your money's increasing in value. Right now, if you sp you're actually better off spending your money, your, your traditional pounds or dollars or whatever, you're better off spending them today than you are spending them 10 years from now because they're going to mm -hmm. buy you. They're going to buy you more today. With Bitcoin, it's going to buy you more 10 years from now. So it discourages consumerism and encourages saving. Mm. Um, and it also discourages people just throwing the money at stocks. So rather than just saying, oh, I'm going to go and buy a load of BP stock or whatever, because I can get a return on it. Well, no, you can just keep the money yourself. So this is another thing that it dis discourages this kind of this rampant consumerism, um, mm. which, which will be encouraged with, with this kind of great reset. It's just that that money will be funneled towards the kind of, you know, the, the corporations that are yeah. pushing it, I think, you know. Um, That's, I hope, yeah, I hadn't really thought of the, the consumption you know, how it's, you know, because it's kind of viewed as, you know, I guess it's sort of associated with 
the libertarian community, which a lot of, I guess, more sort of like conservative nationalist part of the sort of dissident world, you know, they kind of, they're kind of, a, you know, they don't really like libertarians and stuff. They kind of view it still as part, you know, like this sort of consumption based, you know, part of the same flawed, like, I guess, um, ideology, right, of, of consumerism, stuff like that. So it's interesting to consider, yeah, the, the incentives that Bitcoin has against consumerism. Um, that was really great. And, and in terms of, yeah, I guess, final sort of area to, to look at, um, like, how, how, how does this all play out now? Like, in ter- if, you, if you sort of zoom out towards the general problem that we're facing, right, increasingly tyrannical state and whatnot, like, how do you, how do you see it? How do you see kind of Bitcoin's role in, in the path ahead, like in the next year, two years, five years? Well, I think that from from everything that I can see, see small businesses are completely on the rocks. They're being, you know, systematically and in my view, deliberately destroyed. Um, so as more and more people uh, lose their jobs, I think there is going to be a trigger point or a kind of, uh, yeah, a, a point where it's impossible to sustain the economy because there will be so many people who are out of work because they've been locked down for all this time and they haven't been able to maintain their businesses. They've had to pay their rents. Uh, you know, but they're not getting any income. And I think that small businesses will be crushed. And I think at that point, the government will come in and say, oh, hey, you know, like we've got a solution. We're going to give you all UBI. I think that, you know, this kind of whole furlough thing is just a stepping stone towards UBI. Um, When they uh, try to implement UBI, um, you know, they're going to have to print a lot of money to do that. They're going to have to print money because nobody, they're not going to be actually getting any tax revenues because, you know, so many people are out of work. Um, so they're going to have to print that money. So that's going to cause a kind of hyperinflationary risk. And my belief is that the only way to get around that hyperinflationary risk is to essentially uh, control people's ability to spend their money. Because if you uh, have you know, money just being printed and given to people, but it's being printed every day, it's going to be losing its value. So you know, people's incentive in that scenario will be, well, I'm just going to go buy stocks. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take my UBI money. I'm going to go buy stocks. I'm going to go and buy gold. I'm going to go and buy you know, anything that holds its value, Bitcoin. So I think that they can't have that risk. So I think that at the point where they bring in UBI, they'll probably bring in some kind of central bank digital currency, which they can mm-hmm. then be in control. So then if you try to buy anything, which is going to hold this value, they can just say, nope, sorry, like uh, you can't spend on that. Oh, you can't send that, send that money to a Bitcoin exchange. So I see the day coming where you won't even be able to send money to a Bitcoin exchange at all because they will say, well, um, you know, we're going to block that transaction because if you can buy Bitcoin, then essentially this whole great reset uh, is going to fall on its ass because um, they need, because you're going to escape their, their, the kind of compounds, compounds of the system. You're just going to take your fiat, you buy Bitcoin, mm. and then you go and use Bitcoin for, for everything. So I think that it's going to come with this huge amount of control. So you'll still be able to buy Bitcoin, even in that, even in that scenario, because, you know, people will always find a way where, like, where there's a will, there's a way. So, um, but I think it could become more difficult. And I, and I definitely see a collision coming between, you know, this kind of decentralized world, world of Bitcoin and the centralized world of central bank digital currencies. I see them coming onto a head, a head to head collision and, um, you know, look like, thankfully, I think a kind of game theory, um, and incentives are all in favor of Bitcoin being the, the kind of winner in that scenario because, you know, they're going to be relying on things like propaganda and saying, oh, mm. Bitcoin's bad for the environment, Bitcoin's uh, doing this and the other. But, but when you're like, well, okay, if I don't buy Bitcoin, then my money is going to be worth half what it is next week 
or you know I can't spend my money on what I want to spend it to because it's being mm. tracked and traced and etc. I think that at some point you know the, those kind of lies that, that that kind of propaganda and the kind of social campaign is not going to um, match up to the actual um, game theoretics of Bitcoin. So mm. I think Bitcoin is going to win. Like I'm kind of long term. I'm you know very like optimistic because um, people will make the people are rationally incentivized to make the right financial choice for themselves and their family mm. and bitcoin offers that promise yeah um, but i do think it's going to get messy and i think that the early people can can kind of get onto the lifeboat the better um and you know i kind of hope that a lot of people who are in this kind of freedom movement are going to do that sooner rather than later because the people who i would like to see on the lifeboat the people who are who, who i believe are going to have more conviction and who are going to care about things like sovereignty and aren't going to listen to propaganda and aren't going to sell because you know elon musk said that you know, it's going to boil the oceans or whatever. Those are the people that I want in Bitcoin. And those are the people I think most Bitcoiners want in the space. Um, mm. And also, you know, if you've been against all these lockdowns and stuff, you know, honestly, like you deserve the kind of financial rewards that Bitcoin is going to provide. It's the people who, are, you know, and, and, you know, this is another thankful um, part of it is that I think that most of the people who are out there, you know, saying, oh, you know, we, we've got to lock down forever and we've all got to wear masks and we've all got to take a vaccine and, you know, all of this nonsense, like, those are actually the people who are very unlikely to be um, buying Bitcoin and to be recognizing these things because they are ultimately have a kind of collectivist um, mindset of, you know, just believing that there's no such thing, uh, you know, as the individual, there's no such thing as individual sovereignty and, you know, mm. all, all these other things. So I'm kind of, thank I'm kind of grateful the right people are coming into Bitcoin now. And I think that those are going to be the people who, who are more uh, financially well off in the future. And, um, I think everyone will ultimately come to it because everyone's going to have a certain point where they realize, you know, I'm just getting screwed by the system and I'm going yeah. to be on a debt treadmill for the rest of my life if I don't get out. Um, so I think that Bitcoin, you know, will win because it's just impossible. Like it's impossible to stop. It's impossible to regulate and the incentive is structured all in the right direction. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, the, that, the kind of notion that it, it sort of forms this parallel system kind of ties in with how people are thinking about the, problem and how they're thinking about the general problem about what's going on has evolved kind of more generally in the sense that when people when it first happened people didn't know where they should go <laughs> you know running into the streets and just shrieking in people's faces a lot of you know i spent loads of time just shoving content in people's faces sending them links and eventually they switch off and stuff like that and then you know it seems a lot of the general thinking you know with sort of old frail corrupt systems is that you basically just let the old beast you know the head's been cut off it's like the old dragon is whirling around. You just let the old thing, the old thing run its course. And you basically just, you, you know, you outlast it. You build, you build an alternative, you build a sort of resilient um, resistance to it and stuff like that. So it kind of neatly sort of ties into how I think people are thinking about what to do in general, about what's going on, about the end of this nation state system, uh, this fiat mm -hmm. system. Um, so, you know, so that's kind of quite helpful. Um, and in terms of like, in terms of what we can do, from what you said uh, final question would be good just to get like practical things that people can do one thing that you mentioned you know about sort of like it, you know with regard to the competition between central bank digital currencies and stuff and you know people needing to vote for their wallet and stuff seems that kind of the role of bringing more people in and educating them about it because it, in some to some degrees will be a numbers game right i suppose the more people that are in it the harder it's going to be for um for the kind of establishment for their paradigm to win out their new paradigm to win out so i guess information mm -hmm. is a really important part of it um and then are there any yeah. 
are there any others that you'd can't anything else you want to you know to leave people with about um yeah i guess like yeah education is definitely an important thing i think i'd probably just say you know for people who aren't in yet like a lot of people think well am i too late you know this thing's already at like thirty-five thousand dollars now and you know it used to be at whatever one dollar or less and they think oh you know i've missed a boat but like you know, like I've been, I've been buying, buying Bitcoin since, since 20, 2016. And, you know, I, I, like I bought my first Bitcoin for well under a thousand dollars and like, you know, I'm still buying at current prices. Like I literally bought yesterday. I take everything that I, that I've earned well for the past year, everything that I've earned, I've put it into Bitcoin. So like, you know, I, I don't think you should be afraid of the price because, you know, <laughs> you're going to like, if you wait around for the price to be what you want, or you're going to, you know, if it went down to a dollar tomorrow, people wouldn't buy it. Like, oh, it's dead. Right. So like, um, the important thing is to, is to, to kind of get on board and ideally do some kind of like dollar cost averaging and maybe buy you know, if you've got a regular salary, maybe buy in every week, maybe buy in every month, whatever it is. Um, you know, you don't have to buy a lot of Bitcoin at the current price to really have your share. Like it's still like, I don't know what the figure is right now, but something like, you know, if you put in like, $200 now you would have your global share of Bitcoin you put in $200 you could sit on it and you know that you would be you would have your one you know like how many people in the world like 8 million you'd have your one 8 millionth piece of a Bitcoin by, by, by buying like $200 and you could just sit on that obviously I don't think that's the right strategy because I, I have a lot of conviction in it but you don't need to buy in a lot you don't need to, to buy a whole Bitcoin you can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin uh, you know and you can put in a little bit each time the other, the other thing that, that I would say is like you need, well, two things. First of all, you don't have to be like completely educated about it. I don't think that people should kind of wait until they fully understand the ins and outs of it. It's constant learning process. I'm still learning about it now, like five years later. I'm still learning every single day about Bitcoin. And, you know, like I'm still constantly surprised by it. So you don't have to be an expert. Um, you know, just it's quite easy for people to kind of like set up on an exchange. If you want to do it a decentralized route, yeah, okay, go and do a bit more research on it. But you can go onto an exchange and you can sign up, you can buy some Bitcoin you know, take self-custody when you can, but you don't have to do it immediately. You don't have to be right ready with a hardware wallet and all the rest of it. Mm. Just, you know, if you're buying just a little bit, if you're just buying a, you know, two or 300 quid, like it's okay to leave it on the exchange. Like I'm not saying that's a good, good idea longer term, but you don't necessarily have to kind of like have everything ready to go. Just take self-custody when you can, as soon as you can take self-custody, you know, because exchanges have been, been hatched. It's happening more and more rarely, but you know, if you just want to buy a little bit, it's okay to just buy it and then learn the next step. Then learn, okay, I bought some Bitcoin. Now, how do I self-custody it? What's the next step, et cetera? Um, so, you know, it can be an evolving process. And as you, as you, you know, once you kind of like experience it, once you start using it, once you send the transaction, once you buy a bit on an exchange, you know, you'll be, in, you'll be kind of, um, you'll feel like you want to learn the next stage and you'll, yeah. your curiosity will continue to kind of progress. So, um, you know, yeah, that's it's, why it's I kind important of say to get just going, be, isn't it? It's important because yeah, yeah, then the incentives going, yeah. kick in and then you start, you know, then the fear kicks exactly. in. Exactly. I, I don't want to, but it's just the main thing is to not kind of sit on the sidelines, I guess, right? Exactly. Yeah. Don't sit on the sidelines for too long. You know, get in and then learn the next step as 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 you do it. Buy some, okay, self custody, learn more about it, learn more about the technology, whatever it is, learn how to send, send and receive, et cetera. The other, the other thing I would say is like a lot of people I think right now are looking for, you know, a kind of a kind of like movement. You know, I see a lot of people in this kind of like the, the kind of freedom movement who are saying, you know, we need a movement. What is it going to be? And there's all these like disparate groups who are saying, you know, um, join this telegram group and join that and join the other and you go to this protest and we need a worldwide process. And this is all great. Like I, I, I'm not knocking any of it, 
but you know bitcoin really does unify so many people into a common cause you know it's it's really just taking everyone and saying you know what if you want a if you want a unified movement that's going to really make a change you know run a node like with these consensus rules opt out of the traditional finance system okay maybe not entirely you know i'm not saying just go 100% in at least on day one but like you know start taking your money out of the fiat system start taking it out of the purview of governments uh, you know that is going to devalue currency you know i mean you could look at the price rise of bitcoin and you could say oh bitcoin's gone up but you could also look at the same thing and say that's fiat currency collapsing right it's collapsing into bitcoin it's collapsing into all these other scarce assets collapsing into gold and houses mm-hmm. and all the rest of it over time and that is ultimately if we want um change uh, that's a good thing because we you know with the, the way with the place that governments are at now like my view is like the sooner that they completely collapse the better because the sooner that you you can no longer you know pay police to go and arrest people for opening their business and trying to earn a living for their family the sooner that you can um take money out of that system and and, and you can devalue the currency so that the government can't even pay those police anymore and the government are being starved of the, the kind of lifeblood which is um continuing all of this madness the better and you know if everyone just kind of like starts to opt into this new system we can build something new and uh, you know it, it really is a kind of it's a great community it's um it's completely decentralized it's worldwide and you know all it takes is just it's just opting in and then you know kind of like um getting more involved and you know learning more about it and we're building a new system right now which is predicated on rules for building a better world and you know i think that ultimately it's a great movement to be involved with and and i believe it's the is the most important movement in the world right now i mean mm-hmm. so yeah like people looking to get involved something i think bitcoin I, I kind of found the you know a kind of second family with the with the bitcoin community and i think a lot of people kind of feel that you know it's they they really do share a lot of these values that of the same people who are going to these protests what they want like these views are kind of espoused in that community yeah um definitely something that you notice is how committed people are and, and yeah what you said was a really good point in terms of like you know fight back Bitcoin is like a global network, which is like coordinated by very definition, right? In terms of like the, the nodes running in. Yeah. So it's like, it's a way to literally coordinate in a very organized way because you have this very powerful system that's been going for 10 years, coordinating, you know, sort of giving, putting everyone on one network. It's a global kind of network hitting the system at the highest point of leverage, right? Which is the financial system yeah. in terms of like um, kind of switching across to that. So yeah, so it's a really yeah, good point I mean, in terms yeah. of like from, from an activist perspective, it's just like it's it's actually it, it's it's it you know it's not necessarily a distru- just it, it, like can't be even called a distraction because it's hitting them right where it hurts in a very coordinated way, right? Yeah, mm. exactly. And you know that that is at the heart, of, like you said, it, it's it's coordinated in the fact that everyone's just running a node which has this, you know, which is saying we're gonna we're gonna um, verify blocks according to these consensus rules. And these nodes are running all over and everyone's essentially saying, you know, I'm going to protect your, your value. I'm going to protect the value that you have on this chain. I'm going to run my node. You know, the miners are doing their bit and they're securing the chain. And everybody's basically saying, you know, everyone's incentivized to the, to the exact same uh, result, which is having complete sovereignty over your own wealth and taking it out of the hands of governments and stopping it from being like, you know, um, just inflated, uh, inflated away into kind of into nothing over time and um so yeah like it's a it's a real it's a real revolution that, that's happening and you know you can kind of look at it almost as if like we're, we're kind of encrypting our value we're, we're taking 
you know, our ownership and we're encrypting it and we're saying you cannot, you know, we're saying to the government, it's impossible for you to take this from me. You know, the governments can take anything from you and people, people are, are worried about uh, the whole Great Reset and, you know, I will, uh, I, will, I will own nothing and I will be happy and all this nonsense. Well, you know, like in order for, for, for governments to try and take your Bitcoin, they, I mean, they, they literally have to, have to come and they would, have to, they would have to torture you to the point that you actually give up your keys. That's the only way. I mean, if they want to take anything else, they want to take your gold, they can take it. If they want to take your house, they can take it. They just come in and say, there you go, that's my property now. They want to take your, the wealth in your pocket, they just print it. They just print more of it and they say, okay, sorry, I've just, I've just printed. I think um, last, over the past year, the USA, they, it was something like they printed like 30% of their entire monetary supply in one year. So everybody's value, theoretically, I mean, you don't know necessarily exactly where it's gone and you could argue, oh, well, you know, inflation's not up that much or whatever, but like we know factually, given how much they printed, that they've just inflated the money by, by 30%. So you've just devalued everyone's money by that amount. Um, so, you know, Bitcoin is impossible to do that. So even your money's not safe. The money in your bank account isn't safe. Uh, you know, in fact, it's less safe in the bank account because uh, this is, this is an, another um, thing, thing worth mentioning is that if you're, this is, I think, why they're going for this kind of cashless, cashless society is because if, if you have things like negative interest rates, which come into existence, which they're, they're already, I think they're already t doing them in some European countries and they're probably going to do them in the UK as well, um, is that what's people's financial incentive? If their bank is basically saying, oh, okay, you had a thousand pounds last year, but uh, you know, you've got a negative interest rate of minus, uh, minus 2% and now you've got you know, somewhere in a region of like 90, 90 uh, whatever, 980 pounds or whatever it is. Right. If, if that's what they do, um, then people's incentive is to go and take their money out of the bank and hold it in cash and store mm -hmm. it under their under their bed. But as we know from fractional reserve banking, like they don't actually have that money. If everyone tried to go and take all the money from the bank, like the mm -hmm. banks would have to would have to immediately uh, print loads more money. And because uh, it's impossible because they're lending out your money and they fractionally reserved it like that's how the system is working. So so, you know your money's not safe uh, in the bank, you're actually better off taking it out in cash. And this is why I think they're trying to ban cash is because if they ban cash, then it makes no, it's no use withdrawing your money. So everyone's like, well, we'll just have to deal with it. We'll just have to mm. deal with the fact that the government's stealing, you know, X percent of my money um, every year through negative interest. Um, bit of a, a diversion from the original point, but um, you know, what I'm saying here is that, you know, your assets aren't safe, your money mm. isn't safe. Um, th there is really only one place, which is not only, you know, the most safe place to, to keep your, your assets, but possibly the only safe place in the world, which is on the Bitcoin network, mm. which is keeping your assets in a decentralized uh, global monetary system. Um, and so, yeah, like that's the importance of it. Like, I think mm. it can't really be understated. The price is going to go up and down. Don't try and trade. Just, you know, buy in it wherever you can and, you know, recognize that this is a this is kind of encrypting your encrypting your wealth out of the purview of governments. Yeah, no, that's a really good, also a really good take on the, you know, the cash versus Bitcoin argument, what you just, you know, you know, what you just said there. Um, awesome. That was, that was excellent. In terms of where people can, can find and learn more, more about you. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll put it on in the description, but yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, I mean, on Twitter, I'm Johnny Hoddle, J-O-N-N-Y-H-O-D-L. Um, on that page, I've got my, uh, I've got my Telegram group, which is uh, Bitcoin Resistance. Uh, there's a link to it on there. Maybe you can put a, put a, a link as well in the um, in the description. But yeah, people are welcome to kind of go on there and talk to me. Like it's pretty much just me kind of ranting about Bitcoin. But you know, I welcome like the, the purpose of the group is just to get newcomers who are 
who are kind of coming into a space who have no experience, who just want someone who has experience with it. Because I know that I didn't really have that when I was getting in and I, and I, you know, had a lot of kind of hurdles really like um, getting into the space. So I just kind of want to try and, you know, be someone who people can actually talk to if they don't have anyone in their immediate friend group. If you do, if you know a Bitcoiner or something in your immediate friend group, great, go and speak to them. But, uh, you know, that's the purpose of the group is just to help people kind of get onboarded. Um, you know, my DMs are open on Twitter if people want to contact me. And, um, yeah, that, that's about it, really. Right. Yeah, I really recommend people, particularly if you're kind of early in the journey of your journey of Bitcoin, I really recommend that you you join that group. There's lots of really good information just about about the kind of broader stuff, some of the stuff we've touched on today, but also more practical stuff about how to get on, how you know how to buy your first Bitcoin, how to store it and whatnot. Um, so, yeah, I, I really, really highly recommend that. Um, but, yeah, other than that, Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot for coming on, Johnny. That was awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been, it's been really good. Glad to chat. Cheers. Thank you for listening to that. If you enjoyed the way that I think about these issues, then you might enjoy Pith Weekly. So Pith Weekly is my blog, which I email out every Saturday morning, uh, somewhere where I share my latest thinking on metapolitics. And I also share some highlights of what I've read. I'm always digging through some really critical texts uh, in the area. Um, and it's it's something which is um, the center point for what I'm doing. Uh, you know, the reality is we don't really know what's going to happen and what platforms people are going to be kicked off o- of over the next few months, whether YouTube, Twitter, whether Gab's going to take off, but that will always be there. My email will always be there. I'll always be sending my, my best thoughts out and my best learnings out every Saturday morning. So I really hope some of you subscribe. You can find the link in the description. Um, and it'd be great to to have you as part of my community as a node in my network. Um, so thanks again.